tears. Please be seated. Back in the 80s, Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And it started a movement for many of us of, of taking spiritual formation, spiritual growth seriously, of living the Christian life and growing as a Christian and becoming what God had created us to be. Uh, Richard went on to start a ministry called Renovari, where they now have conferences and people come together and, and, and learn, and there are courses and, and just a lot of emphasis on how we grow as Christians, how we live this Christian life. And sometimes it can get a little bit complicated. And I applaud all of that. But I also applaud James. James said, okay, it, it, you got the disciplines, you've got meditation, you've got Bible reading, you've got silence and solitude, you've got fellowship, all of this stuff. But what it all boils down to, what it all boils down to, James said, make life's pressures manageable by focusing on two options. Life, not only spiritual life, but all of life, at its irreducible minimum, comes down to choosing between two options. Am I going to live for God? Or am I going to live for me? And James said in chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Knowing that as God tests your faith, you develop perseverance, you develop discipline to do the right thing, to follow your life's ethic, which is clearly outlined here. Rejoice in that opportunity. Count it all joy that God is helping you grow because as you persevere, you'll become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's one option. Live your faith. But then in verses 13 through 15, he said there's a second option. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God does not tempt us, neither is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt us. But each one is tempted when drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is finished, it gives birth to death. So you have a choice. One through 12, these trials, these pressures, these things that test our faith are responded to in such a way that we follow our faith walk, and we grow. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to treat that pressure as a Christian. We can treat it as if there is no God and be led by our passions, drawn away by our own lust, dragged away by our own lust, and enticed. And we follow a path that does not lead to life but leads to death. And so you say, well, how do I know the difference? You know, this, this thing, it's, is it a test or is it a temptation? Let's say I walk into a, a, an empty building. It's late at night. Nobody knows I'm there. And there's a, there's a duffel bag full of money. And I look at that duffel bag and I say, wow, I'd sure like to have that. And then I say, but the Bible says you shouldn't steal. 
And I said, yeah, but I could tithe some of that money. So that, you know, so there it is. And I, I, it's a choice. Am I drawn away by my own lust and saying, I don't care what the Bible says. I want that money. Or I can say, no, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust God to meet my needs. I'm going to call 911 and say, I need help. And I say, what's wrong? I say, I'm going to steal some money if you don't get here fast. So is that bag of money a test or temptation? It's neither. It's nothing until I make it something. That thought that's going through my mind, that bit of gossip, is it a test or temptation? It's neither. It's just there. And I make it something by how I respond to it. James says in 1 through 2 through 12, if you respond to that bag of money the way God taught you to respond to it, it is a trial that will develop you. If instead of following what you know from the Word of God, you say, put that aside. I'm not going to follow my brain. I'm going to follow my gut. I'm just going to take that money and run. Forget that I'm a Christian. I'll come back. I'll tithe it, and we'll be all better. No, no. Then it is a temptation. That makes sense? Is that clear? It's nothing until you decide how you respond to it. If you respond to it, 2 through 12, God will use the pressure that thing that you want to do that you say, I'm not going to do it because I have a biblical ethic and I grow. I grow stronger. My faith grows stronger because of how I responded. If instead of following my mind, I follow my passions and say, I don't care what the Bible, I'm just going to do this, that is a path that leads to death. So you can have a living life, being perfect and complete, lacking nothing, or you can have a living death that just your life is eaten up by disobeying God and following a downward, vicious cycle away from God. So that's, James, that's pretty much how life works. And as we said last week, that's really what life is made up of, isn't it? So why, why does this making this right choice, why does it matter? Well, making the right choice time after time after time Hundreds of times through the day, little things and big things, making the right choice, following the faith walk. The reason it's crucial is that the choices we make determine the quality of our life. What kind of life do you want to live? What do we call a person who continually makes foolish decisions? A fool. What do we call a person who can't control their lecher's thoughts? A lecher. What do we call a person who continually tells lies? A liar. So James is saying this whole thing, you're creating a life. You're building a life. Remember the illustration of the hundreds of little dots on Randy Ridland's picture? We said that's what life is made up from. And the kind of person you're becoming, whether it's upward or downward, is determined by these choices that we make. So the first reason that it, it makes a difference that, that we make the right choices is we're shaping our life. The quality of our life is shaped by how we make these decisions. Second, the choices we make determine our ability to fulfill God's purpose for our life. 
So James, that, that, that first purpose, that, that our life is being created, our life is being shaped and formed day by day, moment by moment, by the choices that we make in life. That's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 15. Then in verse 16 through 18, he gives us a second reason why it's important that we make these right choices. It's because God has a wonderful, glowing, glamorous purpose for our lives as Christians. Look what he says in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So James says these pressures that come into our life, that we turn into tests and temptations, tests to grow us, temptations to destroy us, none of that is outside of God's sovereign purpose or of God's sovereign control. These things come, they put pressure on. How do I respond to that? These pressures... They are God's gifts to help us grow. Every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And then he says, in the exercise of his will, he determined, he, he determined that we be brought forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And you say, huh? <laughs> What, what are you talking about there? He said, God gave us new birth. God brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us into a relationship with himself. We heard the gospel and we accepted it. And we became followers of Jesus. So that, the purpose of that, we would be kind of a first fruits among his creatures. And you say, what in the world does that mean? What's, what do you mean, first fruits? Well, as soon as you ask that question, James says, gotcha. Because this is wisdom literature. And James doesn't always lay everything out there for us. Just like Jesus' parables. Truth is discovered by thinking. And, and so you stop, and as, if you're seriously reading this, you say, what, what is that about, that first fruits? Well, I, I had to think about that for a while. And, and so here's what I believe the first fruits is talking about. The ceremony in the Old Testament was... That, that, that a Jew, when the first new tomato became ripe, he took that and he gave it to God. And it means many things. But one of the things it means, and I think the way James is using it here, is the Jew would go and say, Lord, I've been waiting all summer for this tomato. I really want to eat this tomato. But I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you because I love you and because I appreciate you, but I'm also giving it to you in faith because I know this isn't the only tomato I'm going to get. And this first fruit says, I trust you to give me more tomatoes. So I can give this one up because this is just an illustration of what you can do with a hunk of ground and a tomato seed. You produce tomatoes. Wow. She says, okay, what's that got to do with me? Am I a tomato? What's the deal? No, what God is saying, you are my first fruits that I present to the rest of my creation. God is saying, I gave you new birth, and I gave you this teaching about these choices because I want you to become this beautiful person. 
This person who, as James says, lives this crowning quality of life. Because like I said to, to my nation Israel when I chose them, you are a light to the Gentiles. You are a light to the Gentiles, showing them what I can do in a human life. And now you, Christian, are my first fruit. You're my tomatoes to show the rest of creation this is what a person looks like who walks with God. All of you skeptics who say, Christianity, I don't know if it works or not. God says, I want you to meet this person. This person illustrates what happens when you make the right choices in life. When you walk the faith, the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. And God says, to people out there who are wondering how life works, He's saying, I want you, my Christian child, to just walk around. And as people see you confronted with pressure, a person sees you with melanoma, and you're smiling. And you're confident. You lose a loved one, and you mourn, and, and, and you weep, and you go to the funeral, but you don't totally collapse. There's a way you deal with that stuff. I see how you don't tell lies. I see how you forgive people. I see how you help the poor. I see how you manage your life. That's so attractive. I, 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 what, what is it with you? You say, I'm a tomato. God has given me the incredible privilege of showing you how wonderful life can be when you make choices that God has taught you to make. And then James says, know this. That's the next verse. The next thing is to know this. Because James says, okay, we've reduced it kind of simple, you know, two choices and so but the question now comes, all right, I get it. If I make the right choice, I grow. If I make the wrong choice, I deteriorate. That's not the problem. The problem is how do I increase the probability that when I face the choice, I'm going to make the right choice? You ever wonder about that? Or is that just me? I live by the 50-50-90 rule. You heard of that one? I the grocery. Which line do I get in? You know, right? 50-50-90. If there's a 50-50 chance I can do it right or wrong, there's a 90% chance I'm going to do it wrong. <laughs> so, the question is, how do I increase the probability that the next time I'm under pressure, whether it's a small attempt, I want to share that gossip, I want to tell that lie, or it's a big one when God does something and I say, I don't even know if I can believe in you anymore. And I face those pressures. How do I increase the probability that I'm going to make the right choice? We increase the probability we make the right choice by developing three habits, James says. Three habits. The first habit is develop the habit of remembering who you are. After James says you are God's first fruit, you are God's tomato so that he can show the world just what he can do in a human life. He says, know this, know this, never forget that. As you're walking around, as you're faced with these pressures, know that. 
I am God's child. And my mission is to be a living, walking around witness. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he went back to heaven, you will be my witnesses. My walking around tomatoes, my first fruit. So that people can understand what it looks like to live a biblical ethic. Know this, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. If you're going to pull this off, he said, first thing you've got to realize is you've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And once again, what does that mean? Quick to hear what? Well, look what he just said in verse 18. He brought us forth by the word of truth. In verse 21, he says, in humility, receive the word implanted. In verse 22, he says, prove yourselves doers of the word. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word. Verse 25, uh, look intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Hear what? Hear what God's teaching. Hear God's ethic. Now, he used the word here because people didn't have Bibles when James wrote this. They were in the synagogue. They had to hear it, and they had to remember it. But hear it. Hear it. Be quick to hear. When that person insults you, when that person shows you his IQ, the root, the square root of his IQ by holding up that one finger to tell you what he thinks of you, and you want to hold, you want to get back, or when you hear God's voice saying you really need to forgive. You really shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. You need to love your enemy. And everything in you says no. James says when you're in those struggles, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The first question you should have in your mind is what does God say I should do? Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Back it up. You've heard of the thing, count to ten? Well, that's sort of what James is saying. You don't count to ten. Remind yourself. In fact, this is a verse I use when I'm ready to go, and I say, all right, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to act slow to get angry. Because right now, I want to speak. And what I'm going to say isn't a good thing to say. It's not what I should say. What I want to do is not what I should do. So I need to calm down and hear what God is saying to me. So the first thing is, Lord, what would you have me do? And then I speak. And I'm slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness that God is trying to build into us. That quick to anger is the 13 through 15 option. Drawn away by our own lust. I feel like being angry, so I'm going to be angry. I feel like saying something nasty to you, so I'm going to say it. No. No, no. The first thing is quick to hear. God, what would you have me do 
right now. Right now. So the first habit is the habit of remembering that you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, who am I? I am a Christian. What is my ethic? This is my ethic. Given this circumstance, how should I respond? I shouldn't say what I want to say. I shouldn't get angry. I want to get angry right now. Why do you live the life you do? Because you're a Christian. Does that mean anything? (laughs) Yeah. It means Jesus is my Lord. And God's word is my ethic. And I need to listen to it. Know who you are. Know that you are first fruit and model to his creatures. And be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because your anger does not achieve God's purpose for your life. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. How many times have you spoken and you said, that was a foolish thing and I'm so ashamed? Or you vented that anger and you said, oh, I was a fool and I'm so ashamed. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. I know that so well because my dear wife reminded me of that so often. All right. So, the first thing, the first way to increase the probability that you're going to make the right choice is just stop and say, who am I? What is my life about? Second habit we need to develop is to develop the habit of not making the wrong choices. And that is a habit. That is saying, I will not do that. I want to know I'm not going to do that. Ah, no. No. James says in verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In verse 27, he says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to bridle your tongue, to not deceive your own heart. To keep yourself unstained from the world. That's God's will for you. A holy, pure life. Develop the habit of saying no. Of not making the right choice. It is a habit. And the third, so first, remember who you are. Secondly, develop the habit of not making the wrong choices. Verses 21 and 27. And third, develop the habit of growing in your commitment to do what God teaches us to do. Let me say that again. Develop the habit of growing in your commitment to do what God teaches us to do. And the reason I use that language of develop the habit is that's James' language. He says in verse 21, I'm going to just do now 21 through 25 in your Bible there. In humility... Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In humility, receive the word. What does that mean? Take it seriously. Take it in. Read it. Think about it. Study it. Meditate on it. It's there for a reason. The reason a lot of people don't live the Christian ethic is they don't have a clue what it is. The writer of Hebrews says, some of you, by this time you ought to be teaching this stuff. 
But you need someone to come and teach you the ABCs. And you say, you know, I would respond the way God wants me to respond, but I really don't know how God wants me to respond. Well, find out. Find out. Receive the word implanted, which is able to say, but he says, but prove yourselves to be in the process of becoming doers of the word. And that's the verb that James particularly selected there. The, the, the verb he used is not an act word, it's a process word. There's a word that we interpret, be. Therefore, be doers of the word. But he didn't use the word be. He used the word become, be in the process. Ginomai, a process. It's developing a habit. Develop the habit of not merely being hearers who delude themselves, but doers. He said, now somebody who, well, let me read it. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. Hmm. That's an interesting illustration. But you know, this isn't a, a chapter on teaching us how to look nice. He uses the mirror image as a metaphor. As you look into this mirror and you see something awry, you don't just walk away and forget it. If I looked in the mirror and discovered that my nose is on upside down, I said, I got to get that fixed before it rains. <laughs> okay, I really need to work on that one. Okay. But sometimes I look in the scriptures and I say my moral nose is on upside down. Am I going to be as serious about that as I am if my nose is upside down? You, know, you, you get it. If I got a big zit on my thing, I'm going to cover that up. I don't want to go around looking like another. Yeah, these things were vain. I need to be as vain about my soul as I am about my face. When I look into this mirror and I see something wrong, if I don't act on it, I'll just forget about it. James says, don't do that. Instead, he says, one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and once again, the process, the same word, ginomai, and abides by it, not having developed the habit of becoming a forgetful hearer, but having developed the habit of being an effectual doer, this man will be blessed. This woman will be blessed. And what she does. Just developing a habit of taking this seriously. Remember we talked about the biblical ethic? And integrity is how your morals match your ethic. That's all James is talking about here. You want to be blessed in what you do? A woman said to Jesus one time, Blessed is the woman who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus said, eh, nice lady, uh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. <laughs> you want to be blessed? Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, James says, for once she has been approved, she will receive this crowning quality of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So it's down to two options. 
Two options. And I make do better with the small options if I've made the big option of saying, I choose to be the person God has recreated me to be. My commitment of my life is I want to be that first fruits. I want to be the best tomato God ever created. So that my friends and my family, when I'm with my grandkids and they see how I respond to life, they say, he's the real deal. This Christian stuff works. That's the privilege God has given you and me. Two options. One option leading upward to life. The other option leading downward to death. Jeanette and I used to have a word that we just called, we would, when we got lazy, we'd say we've, we're on the misty flats. We're on the misty flats. And we heard that word from Isabel Kuhn in her book, By Searching. It says, to everyone there openeth a way and ways and a way. The high soul climbs the highway, while the low soul gropes the low. And in between on the misty flats, the rest of us wander to and fro. But to everyone there openeth both a highway and a low, and everyone must choose the way her soul will go. Two options. 